Hi, my name is Greg. Hi, my name is Betsy. And this is what we're tentatively calling Going on 30. We are taking a look back at movies that were nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards 30 years ago. And we're going to see if they live up to the hype today. So we are relitigating movies from 30 years ago. That's the concept behind the show. It's not really a religious theme, so we're calling this a spinoff from our Popping Collars normal. We'll throw it in the Popping Collars feed, and we'll see how many people listen to it. And if we get a lot of people, then maybe we'll keep doing it for like movies for next year and stuff like that. Yeah, that'd be fun. So we're starting off with our pilot episode by talking about the winner of Best Picture Spoiler in alert, the winner of the Oscar. The winner of Best Picture from 30 years ago. Of course, I'm an excellent driver. That's me drive slow on the driveway. Chris, only 28 miles on the odometer since I drove it a week ago last Saturday. It should be more than 28 miles. What is this? Who is this guy? Raymond is your brother. My brother? I, I don't have a brother. Of course, I'm an excellent driver. You know how to drive? Yeah. You never, never touch the steering wheel when I'm driving. Do you hear me? Yeah. Do you hear me? Of course, I don't have my underwear. What? You're using Raymond. You're using me. You use everybody. I'm using Raymond. Raymond! Raymond, am I using you? Am I using you, Raymond? Yeah. Shut up! He is answering a question from a half hour ago! Quite a trip, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. What happened this past week? Dance with Charlie Babbitt. You want to learn how to dance? Yeah. Dance with your brother? I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel a little silly. What else did you do? Kiss Susanna. Did you enjoy kissing a woman? I don't know. How was that? Wet. <laughs> Wet? Yeah. Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise, in a Barry Levinson film. I like having you for my brother. I'm an excellent driver. Rain Man, starring Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Betsy, did you? What's your history with this movie? Did you see it when it came out? I do not think I did. I watched it, and I'm like, oh, I'm rewatching this movie. And then I'm like, hold on, do I just know quotes from this movie? <laughs> right. Do I just know, you know, I'm a good driver. I'm an exceptional driver. Do I only know this as sound bites? Right. Because do I just were... know the pop culture of this movie? I don't know, like the actual I movie. Don't... I know, I know the plot enough. It was famous enough that I knew that. I also, Greg and I, I feel like I've talked about this on Popping College before. I am not, I was not a girl who had a Top Gun poster in my room. It was not all about the TC, the Tom Cruise. And so I, I mean, controversial, controversial take. But, but so I wasn't like hankering for the next cruise vehicle. And maybe I knew Dustin Hoffman was in Tootsie. And I think that was about it. And and I I don't know whether I watched this at the time. I think I've never really sat and watched it all the way through. I have a personal history with this movie. Oh, which yeah. Is, yes. So uh, this was one of the movies that do you remember, like the old subscription services where you where you sent away to like Columbia or BMG? Yeah. You got like 20 CDs for a for a for penny. A penny. Right? penny. Yeah. Penny. And then you would, then you would cancel your subscription and then you would like get a friend's address and you would sign up for them and then you would end up with like 200 cds and stuff well my parents did the exact same thing through columbia with movies Mm -hmm. so they got like 12 video cassettes delivered and this is where i found out that my mom was like a huge 
TC fan uh, because like in the mix was like Risky Business, Cocktail, and Rain Man, like peak cruise. And I think Top Top Gun was in there somewhere too. Sure. So this was the movie that when I was in my early teen phase and I was starting to like, oh, I'm going to watch like real movies, R-rated movies, movies with substance. I must have watched this movie like 50,000 times when I was like 13 years old. Really? Yes. This was like one of the movies that was in the pile that was like, oh, I feel like I'm getting away with something by watching Rain Man. Super adult of you. Totally. So here's the deal with Rain Man. It is the story of Charlie Babbitt, played by Tom Cruise, who's like the worst yuppie you've ever seen in your life. And his father dies and he finds out that he has a brother, an older brother that he didn't know about, named Raymond, played by Dustin Hoffman. And uh, Raymond has inherited all of his father's wealth. And so Tom Cruise kidnaps him as a way of getting part of his father's inheritance. And it becomes like a road movie. It's these two brothers traveling across country. The only thing is that Raymond is autistic. He's described as like um, an autistic savant Mm -hmm. is how they talk about him in the movie. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So, Betsy, general thought. What's something that stood out to you? What's a hot take that you have from this movie? I could barely watch Tom Cruise when he was on screen. What That's ass. my hot take. That's I mean, my hot his, take. Tom Cruise sucks. I mean, this, his right? character was he was supposed to be an ass. He was supposed to be an ass. But I found with my 2019 glasses on, watching mm-hmm. how he would just, you know, you know what's going on, you know what's happening, Raymond, and just kind of that pushing on really kind of, you know, so I actually found there were times when it seemed like he really understood Raymond's autism and times when he was completely disconnected and not understanding it. And, and I know that the writer was basing this off of people that he knew in his life and all of those sorts of things. But I found, I found kind of the vacillation of his character and maybe it's because he's so absorbed in his own stuff and he emerges at times to be able to see other people around him and then he sinks back into it. So maybe that's what I was sensing. But there were definitely times I struggled with him and, and kind of sticking with it. Oh, my gosh. There's two things, though, that that's wrong with the Tom Cruise issue. One is, yes, you're right. Charlie Babbitt as a character sucks. Like, And the problem is that he is our vehicle as the audience to kind of understand and get to know Raymond. The problem is that he's making all the wrong choices <laughs> as yeah. far as like how to engage Raymond, how to ask questions. Like he's just constant frustration. He's like banging on this frustration note, like over mm-hmm. and over again on the piano. And it's just, it just sucks the life out of you after a while. And the other well, is, I don't, yeah. I don't think Tom Cruise's acting is that great in this. Like, I think he's I think he comes off as kind of stiff, kind of wooden. It's like he's kind of feeling himself as like that sexiest man alive phase mm-hmm. of his career is coming in and stuff like that. It's it's almost like he doesn't quite know which way he's going as an actor. And it, it just feels equally frustrating every time he's on the screen. So what was his film right before this? So he had two top ten movies in 1988. 
Cocktail, which came out earlier that year, right. and Rain Man. Before that, I think it's Top Gun. That'd be Top Gun. And like after, this, after this, he transitions into more like I'm an actor movies. Right. Right. But I think a lot of that has to do with working with Dustin Hoffman because yes. he comes out of this and he eventually moves on into like, I think his next film is born on the 4th of July. Yeah. I think and so. he'll and still like do the dips into like Days of Thunder and stuff. But he's yeah, he wants to be an actor after this. Well, but and he's terrible the, in this. He's terrible. The Barry Levinson contact, I think, is also a part of that, too. We can get into that as well. And you mentioned, I mean, I didn't see Cruz as my vehicle into this. I was looking at Valeria Galino's character, Susanna, Ooh. as being my, maybe it's a gender thing. I don't know. I saw mm-hmm. her more as the girlfriend who's kind of there and interested in, in really talking to Raymond and trying to see deeper parts of Charlie and frustrated with him. And because I was frustrated with Charlie, I, I sided with her immediately because I was frustrated with Charlie. And so I saw her more, even though she didn't get as much screen time as I wanted. Mm-hmm. I found she her drops to, out. She, she drops, drops out, out for but a big she comes back. Mm-hmm. But I, I found her to be more my vehicle in, you know, I, I will get into this a little bit more. I loved Valeria Galeno in this. I thought she was great. And, and I was watching this and I was watching her and I was thinking, why didn't this just jumpstart her career to something great? Okay. The other issue that I have with, with Charlie Babbitt as a character is the way that the story structured, there are no consequences for the horrible decisions that he makes. So like he's, he's trying, he's trying to, he's the worst importer exporter ever in the history of the world. Yep. He's trying to import like foreign cars. He can't move Maseratis. He, he can't get because these, of, because of the, catalytic converters in the EPA in California. Right. Why are you doing this in Los Angeles? <laughs> Go to the East coast where in 88, nobody gives two hot dams about what you're up to. Oh, we're at the height of Reagan. Nobody cares. Nobody Sp- cares. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? So, <laughs> so, so yeah so he's trying to import these cars he's trying to skirt around the epa he's trying to scam the buyers of these cars he eventually goes broke and then he exploits his brother in order to overcome the debt that he owes and they have the gall to spin this movie as we're supposed to be sympathetic towards him at the end like i think that's the frustrating thing is that like i saw no reason like as to why, like his character never got a comeuppance, and it felt like it was deserved, right? Right, and I also learned in my bit of research that this movie propagated the the uh, misinformation that counting cards is illegal, not illegal. Casinos might not like it, and I love the vagaries of mob bossy happening. Right. I'm like, hold on, is this casino? <laughs> is Robert De Niro going to walk in the What's going on? And so. That element when they're in Vegas, but yes, and then there's never, and so that he gets the eighty, and then yeah, and I'm like, what about that other guy? I was working with him? Is he gone? And and then they end up with kind of this little pat on the head for Charlie at the end, right? Right. Doctor Bruner, the the you know the character played by Gerald Mullen, who's like the doctor at mm-hmm. the facility where Raymond is, patience of a saint, and maybe it's his job. Maybe that's how they decided to play that character. But yeah, so really well. just incredible. No, no fiery drama from there. It's just like, Charlie, you just really don't get this. 
he he comes off as an idiot through most of this. He's awful to his girlfriend. Like we talked a little bit about that, but he's awful to Susanna. Right. And she comes back and forgives him and they have this, you know, happy ending. It what just I do feels kind is, of weird. What I do wonder is, is about the character that we never see, which is the dad. Oh. We never see the dad. We mm. never see the dad. We see the dad in a, an old photograph. We see his handwriting in a book. We hear his will. Mm-hmm. But we never see him. So is Charlie... Is is he supposed to be our window into how daddy was? But then father is multidimensional. Because if father was a hard person for Charlie, father was a different person for Raymond. And that even when in the depth of his wife dying, his older son who's struggling, who she was probably the primary caregiver for, almost injures this baby that he now has. Mm -hmm. And... He has to send the son away, probably culturally at that time or however he wanted to put it, a person with money with a struggling child, but then is visiting that child and the child's driving cars and he has this super close relationship with the person who's running the institution. Like this very non one note picture of dad, which made me super curious about dad. And then Charlie's so one note. It's like such I know. a bummer that they're I, actually, even though it wouldn't have been, would have still probably been the schmaltzy come together. Right. Could have been something more there. I would almost forgive Tom Cruise for playing the one note because I think you're right. I think his father does kind of elicit anger from him. And so he gets like, you get the anger and the frustration and how his reaction to Raymond is about his being left in the dark by his father and being mistreated by his father and being cut out of his will by his father, except for the roses Mm -hmm. and like all of that stuff. But he plays angry before the father dies. Like he plays angry on like at the opening scene when they're trying to like work through like the car deal and stuff. So we never got to see like the good side of Charlie before he starts playing like this angry character either which Mm -hmm. yeah i think you're right about the father like he's the he's the thing that kind of drives like what the choices that these actors are making but the problem is that like it makes them very one note and very one dimensional and it makes me wonder whether there was ever a consideration of flashbacks whether there was ever a consideration Mm. of that i wonder whether that ended up on the cutting room floor somewhere and and i do think the only i know the only acting more wooden than Tom Cruise was when Barry Levinson in an uncredited <laughs> moment as the evaluating doctor. That was tough. Tough stuff. And he came on screen and I'm like, oh, is that Barry Levinson? He has flowing kind of silvery white right. hair. And, and then, you know, and for, and for Barry, like the trajectory that he's going on, right? So he's coming off a big movie. Good right. Morning Vietnam. Huge hit. 1987. Yeah. Right? This is kind of the his middle ground here. Avalon in 1992 years later, uh, mm-hmm. not as well received. No, Bugsy, this should have been a better springboard toys. than it was. I mean, yeah. he kind of goes on a bit of a, you know. But I think I think uh, I think he was. This was really going to be. This, there were so many stars aligning for this to be a hot vehicle for everybody. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, what's the best scene in the movie? <sighs> Four scenes. It can be more than one. The 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 bathtub. Why'd you say funny teeth? What? You said funny teeth, funny Rain Man. Rain Man? 
Yeah. I said Rain Man? Yeah, funny Rain Man. Was I trying to say Raymond and it came out Rain Man? Yeah. Funny Rain Man. You? You're the Rain Man? Who took this picture? P.A.D. Can you live with this? Yeah, 1961 Beach Crest Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. When, uh, when, when, did, when did you leave? January 21st, 1965. You, you remember that? It's Thursday, very snowy out. 7.2 inches of snow that day. Is that just after Mom died, New Year's? Yeah, yeah Mom died January 5th, 1965. And you remember after. that day? You remember that day that you left? Short, short and sudden illness. You remember that day yeah. that you left? Was I there? Where was I? You were in the window. You, you waved to me. Bye-bye, Rain Man. Bye-bye, Rain Man. So you, you, you were the one that sang to me? Yeah. Can I like you when you sang to me? Yeah. Do we sing any other songs? Do you like the Beatles? Yeah. Hoffman does a great job mm-hmm. and the way that they have to wind that scene up so rapidly and then the way it lowers because I do think that Cruz does a great job in that scene he plays surprise really well yeah. even though this is not the first outburst he's seen right from Ray but I thought that scene and kind of, and bringing that back down was was well done what about you uh, I I like that. I almost said the bathtub scene because what I remembered when I was rewatching this are all the scenes where Raymond hits himself. Yes, I remember those. Like they they stood out in my memory, and I could I could remember like when they ramp up, like when they happen, all of that stuff. So yeah, that stood out to me. That was a one take scene, by the way. No Trivia. way, really? Yeah, they did that in one take. Oh, um, Max. Best scene for me is the elevator scene. It's nice. No, no, they can't. You're very good. Irish missed a beautiful dance. Yeah. And the kiss. Yeah, and the kiss. Have you ever kissed a girl? I don't know. No, no. Open your mouth. Open. Yeah. Like this. Like you're tasting something very good and very soft. Yeah. Like this. Close your eyes. 
Uh, Valeria Galino and uh, Dustin Hoffman in the elevator Mm -hmm. uh, dancing with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers on the TV. I think what I like about it is that it's it's intimate because it has to be because they're in an intimate space. They're in this elevator. They're close together. And it's one of the only scenes that shows sort of true connection between Raymond and another character. Uh, The only other time that I think he makes eye contact with another character is when he's dancing with Tom Cruise in the penthouse. Mm -hmm. But this is, you know, he, he makes eye contact with her. He kisses her, you know, it's, it's this very kind of, uh, it's very kind of gracious, right. This is very kind of gracious moment between the two of them. And it, it feels, it feels really authentic and really human and Tom Cruise is nowhere to be seen, which also makes the scene a lot better. <laughs> I also, though, I found the kiss to feel exploitive. Oh, really? Yeah, of somebody who doesn't quite, wasn't seeking that. You know, wasn't looking for that. And it kind of, so much direction inside it that it made me a little, unco- maybe uncomfortable. You think she put her idea of what a date is on top of what his idea of a date was? Yes. Because he was supposed to be on a date. Right. With this woman who I forgot, totally forgotten about. And I was waiting for her to come in and like take all their money and have them be back at square one again. (laughs) Like, who's this woman? Oh no, she's terrible. But I, I did, I felt it felt, it felt exploitive. It felt like it wasn't an an original thought on his part. So I was a little bit kind of, come on, Valeria, I like you. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So, but that was kind Uh, of my feeling that, but the penthouse dancing scene, it's like the tender scenes with Tom, with Cruz, they Mm -hmm. either, End in disruption or begin in disruption with Raymond, right? right? So there he tries to give him a hug at the end <laughs> and it, you know, the flinching and it's just kind of over in that way. But, um, uh, best actor in the movie. I think we're on the same page on this. Barry Levinson. No, oh. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Barry. Barry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, it's, it's Hoffman, right? Oh, really? See, I think Hoffman's just banging the same note. Yes. I mean, I like Valeria. And I I find yeah. her just an interesting 80s actress. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know what, whether she was ever in a movie where they had her n- not be Italian or not have her accent. Maybe she couldn't not have I her don't, accent. I don't think she could. I mean, the, she, goes, she goes from this to Hot Shots, right? Yes. Hot, you know, like, not that Hot Shots is a step up, but she's, you know, it's a, it's probably more mainstream than mm-hmm. Rain Man. Although Rain Man's number one movie of 1988, so True. who knows? But um, but she goes on from this to Hot Shots, and then it's just basically European movies from that point yeah. forward that she's doing. Yeah. So I think that uh, I think that yeah, I think the accent thing is an issue for her as far as being a big name in Hollywood because I think she's really good in this. I, I think she's really good in, in most of the stuff that I see her in. And yeah, the only she, thing that I can figure is that, yeah, she's got the really thick Italian accent. Yeah, I think that's probably it. And it does make me want to go and look at, like, she has a movie here that looks like it came out in 88, eight, uh, 2018, Daughter of Mine. I'm like, what's that about? Like, I'd like to, I kind of want to get into her catalog. Yeah, get, yeah. It's, it's funny because you can, you can kind of, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but you can kind of rattle off, like, Tom Cruise stuff, Dustin Hoffman stuff. Sure. But her, it's like Hot Shots and... 
don't know. Oh, she was in uh, <laughs> Escape from Los Angeles. Escape from L.A. Oh. Yeah. Snick Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of secretly like that movie. Uh, another <laughs> another Best Actor nominee for me from this movie. Yes. I like the old man in the waiting room at the doctor's office who's talking about the Pony Express. So young man, go west, go west. And this is the way our country developed from the East Coast to the West Coast. Well, during that period of time, there was initiated a, um, what was known as a Pony Express I'm sure all of you read something about it in the history of the United States. I may not have the days exactly right or the years, but I, I'm more or less familiar with the history of the United States. And I love to tell a story he's artistic. of the No, he's autistic. And it was initiated. I'm not it, familiar it, it, with it, that. Uh, what West, is the exact nature of the problem? St. George, Missouri. Which he uh, he lives in a world of his own. And the purpose I'm sorry, but what's wrong with him? It was a problem to get the mail from the east. Raymond, do a little of your what's on first. Who's on first, what's on second? Huh? And uh, they they set up a uh, initial program where a Pony's Express would would ride for approximately 20 miles. What What was that about? I think that that was a real guy. I think that was a real guy. They were filming in this little town in Oklahoma or something. I think they probably found this guy on the street. And they liked his look. And Barry Levinson probably said to him, what's something that you know something about? And the guy was like, I know a lot about the Pony Express. And Barry Levinson said, great, just start talking about it. <laughs> and he just started rolling the camera. I, I guarantee that's probably how that Super scene Super fun extra. I loved it. I thought, I thought it, it was just like this perfect sort of like real person on camera who doesn't realize that they're being filmed and just like doing his old man thing. I thought it was great. So he is really only, I looked him up. His name is Byron <laughs> Kavnar, Byron P. Kavnar. He is really only known for Rayman. That is it. He yeah. was born in Oklahoma. He died in Oklahoma City at the age of 93, yeah. 1995. An expert on the Pony Express. I, 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 expert on the Pony, I bet you're right. <laughs> I bet you're right. Because I, I, I was also wondering about where they filmed. Yeah. Yeah, so this makes me think, oh, they probably filmed in Oklahoma. And how they kind of took this very lovely car all across the United States. Um, car was great. They yeah. had to have more than one, right? Yeah. You would think. You would think. You like would cars think. cars and kids, you know, you have to have more than one. That's right. That's movies. that's union rules. That's union yeah. rules. There's there's work hours involved for classic vehicles. So, um, so how was this movie received at the time? You ready for this? You want stats yeah. about the movie? Give me stats. It opened eyes. on December 16th, 1988. Oh. It made, a, it made $173. Christmas release. Yeah, yeah. Christmas release. How much? Uh, awards release. Because that's, yeah. uh, that's awards season. That's hot, that's hot awards so, season. So they knew they were onto something with this. Yeah. Domestic gross, $173 million. Huh. That's huge. That's and a what is that? What is that in today's money, Greg? So that's, okay, so that's the... <laughs> you have an that, estimate? That made it the number one grossing movie of 1988. Dang. Which, when you think about that in 30 years, like in our current movie landscape, that's hard to believe. That a movie like Rain Man would be number one. Um, if it were out in release right now, in 2019, it would be the number eight movie 
Mm-hmm. As far as domestic gross, it would be in John Wick 3's place. Slot. Yeah. It's the 284th top grossing movie of all time. Hmm. You know what it's behind? You know what's what? right in front of it? What? Air Force One oh. is right in front of this thing. Uh, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert, three and a half out of four stars. He said, Rain Man is so fascinating because it refuses to supply questions with sentimental but unrealistic answers. It's a weird sentence. Wait a second. Rain Man is so fascinating because it refuses to supply questions with sentimental but unrealistic answers. I think it does supply sentimental answers. I don't know why. I, mean, I guess, I, well, if we're talking I guess about... they are realistic sentimental answers, though. I, like, because I mean, they get separated. But. Trying to kind of... I mean, and there have been other things... That Barry Morrow had written yeah. with autistic characters in them before those, and to I wonder what I wonder whether was it heralded at the time as this kind of you know peak inside this had to be this mental I mean, and I know it it also propagated the the misinformation that all people with autism also have this gift have yeah. a skill that they're able yeah. to do. And so their trick, right? Which is not helpful either, right? Yeah. And that it really doesn't speak to the. I mean, it does. It does mention some of the spectrum that some folks are unable to speak, and and it has some of those aspects in there. But I, I'm just thinking about how awareness around autism, debate around vaccination, like all the stuff that has gone. You know, I I see a purple puzzle piece in my head. Like now, yeah. all that I, all that we know culturally about autism. And that very little of that was on the surface. But this thing, this movie this time. perpetuates a myth about autism as magician or like like an autistic savant is like a magician. Like I'm thinking of that Bonnie Hunt scene with the toothpicks. Yes. Well, and it's, like, it's also it's also the movie, the movie cliche of the of the magic person who's different, who's going to somehow right. change you, which Powder. Charlie Babbitt works damn hard not <laughs> to be changed by any of this movie. So, so, you know, maybe, maybe it didn't work in this movie, but whether it's a person of color or a person uh, with a perceived difference of any kind uh, that this, this kind of becomes, he's, he's filling that role, that cliche as a character. So how did this thing do at the 1989 Oscars? It won four Oscars. Can you, do you think you can name what four Oscars won? I have not. I've already given one away, right? One away is best picture. Best picture. Um, Hoffman won. Yeah. Hoffman won Best, Best Actor? Dustin Hoffman, okay. yeah. Was Cruz nominated? No. Cruz was not nominated. Not nominated. Um, and I think that it was Dustin Hoffman winning Best Actor that made him take on that Oliver Stone project. I think he was like, I gotta I gotta get some legit mm. I gotta get some legitimacy here. Did they win for Best Screenplay? Yes. Good, Betsy. Uh, Best that was my guess. Nailed it, yes. Best original screenplay, which nowadays I didn't know that, but I was looking up Morrow. He also wrote one of like those imprint like TV movies that imprint on you. The Karen Carpenter story, 1989. I remember that article. First time I really saw anything about eating disorders. I always have this image as like best picture is for like the corporate thing and best original screenplay is for like the indie darling. Mm -hmm. Like the, the biggest example being like Pulp Fiction winning screenplay and Forrest Gump winning best picture, like that so, kind of thing. So then I want to say last Levin, one, Levinson yep. for supporting actor, but I'm not going to say that, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't win for best director. Did he? He 
did. He Barry did? Levinson pulled down Best Director. Oh, I thought it was going to be some sort of like the score or something. Did Because I was like, how hard is this to direct? I mean, I guess it was... It's not hard to do, right? It's really, it's pretty though. It is a pretty movie. It is a very pretty movie. Cinematography is great. It did not win for best cinematography. What, is he crazy? No. Is he retarded? Not exactly. He's not crazy, he's not retarded, but he's here. Well, he's an autistic savant. I don't know what that means. Well, some people like him used to be called idiot savants. They have certain deficiencies, certain abilities. He's retarded. Autistic. Actually, high-functioning. What does that mean? Well, it means that the, there's a disability that impairs the sensory input and how it's processed. English here, we're talking over my head. Well, Raymond has a problem communicating and learning. He can't even express himself or probably even understand his own emotions in a traditional way. With the clipboard. Uh, there are dangers everywhere for Raymond. Routines, rituals, it's uh, all he has to protect himself. Yeah. Rituals, that's, that's a good one. That's, well, it's the way he acts, sleeps, eats. Uses the bathroom, walks, talks, everything. Any break from the routines, and it's terrifying. What's the legacy of this? Let's talk a little bit about autism and pop culture moving forward from this. So Rain Man, when you, if you were to say what's a portrayal of an autistic character in a movie, I think Rain Man would be near the top. I think that's true. Can you think of anything else? Hmm. Let's see. We've got Temple Grandin. Oh, yeah. Claire mm-hmm. Danes. This is HBO. Atypical is on Netflix right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm going to Google it. There are there are a number. See, I wonder. Often it seems like, a, oh, the boy who could fly. They consider that. Ah, interesting. Uh, that's interesting. I feel like this movie casts a big shadow over all that stuff, though. I really, I agree. Because I think about things like The Good Doctor that's out now on ABC. Same thing, right? An autistic character who's like a brilliant surgeon. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always like this, yeah, I've got autism, but I can do this amazing thing. Mm -hmm. You know? I think this really defined what it, what people thought of autism for a really long time. It might probably still do if this is a part of their context. Uh, I think, and now I think mostly when people think about autism, they think about, you know, the Jenny McCarthy and the Vax debates or whatever they're kind of thinking about. Yeah. Does this movie open the door for acting awards based on physical transformation? So Dustin Hoffman is doing a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm tr- like leading up to this, you had like Michael Douglas the year before. Coming out of this, like Daniel Day Lewis is going to win the next year for My Left Foot. Same mm-hmm. thing. Right? Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Jeffrey Rush for Shine. Like you have a lot of, you know, there's this move towards let me do the most acting and then I'll win the award for best acting. If this movie was made now, the debate would be about why isn't an autistic actor playing this part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, or in the way that like Brian Cranston in the role where he was paralyzed in the wheelchair, or I forget what physical issue he had, but people were like, well, why didn't you have an actor with that sort of physical difference play that role? That that becomes something that we talk about. Yeah, and that's that's that, actually that conversation would have been very far from our yeah. 
1987, 88. If you asked someone in 1988, what's the difference between representation and exploitation? I wonder how, I wonder if they could even comprehend that question. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know what they could. Like, well, we got Dustin Hoffman. Like, right. he's a movie star. Here's a question I have for you. Who do you think this movie's for? Like, who's this movie made for? Like, it doesn't seem like it has a clear demographic. And yet it's the number one movie of 1988. Oh, like if, I don't know. If somebody this is, asked this me feels who... If boomer asked me, Central. This is Boomer-tastic. Oh, you think it's Boomer? Because so? So, so you got... I mean, think about the pitch. You've got... You've got the acting chops of Hoffman, uh-huh. who's had a, who's had an amazing run, right? Seventies, eighties, sixties, seventies. Like they saw him in The Graduate. They love him, right? He's them, you know. And then you've got, hey, Tom Cruise, because their age difference. Mm-hmm. Like Hoffman's born in the late thirties. Yeah, Cruise is born in the early sixties. Like they. They have done some some lovely. They have both aged wonderfully right. to bring them within a fourteen year age gap to play brothers on a movie, right? So I think that feels like gold. You got yeah. your Top Gun guy, you know, and then you've got this actor actor oh who's my in gosh. films films that are made on celluloid and they're real and the old <laughs> films. Yeah, well, this so, is. And yeah. and you could argue that this is Dustin Hoffman's last big hurrah. I mean, he's got a '90s career. Oh, whoa, you're going. He's, he's got a '90s career. Whoa. He's got he's got Outbreak and Wag the Dog. Like he's got a '90s career. He's even got a current career. He's got Kung Fu Panda dollars rolling in. <laughs> Come on. But this is this is the height of Dustin Hoffman right here, as far as being an actor, right? Now, hold on, I'm looking. Because you're coming out of The Graduate, you're coming out of, like, Kramer versus Kramer, you're coming out of Tootsie, like, he's had all of his big roles. This is his last big thing. So he's in, and and in terms of him being, like, a leading man, mm-hmm. you know, Tootsie, he's still the romantic lead yeah. in 1982, yeah. right? I mean, you know. And then we're 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 forgetting a very important film in this list here, which is Ishtar, which comes out in uh. 1987. <laughs> so let's just not forget Ishtar is out there too. With so, a sex but then symbol you're again. Right. Then yeah, we're looking yeah. at like Dick Tracy, he's mumbles in like yeah. 1990. Billy Bathgate, Hook, pretty successful film. Successful. And but... then these other kind of you know hero with Gina Davis. Yeah, you're right. Outbreak sleepers. Some you know, American Buffalo, Wag the Dog, but maybe you're right. Oh, Finding Neverland. Oh, I Heart Huckabees. Oh, God bless. <laughs> All the behind the scenes there. I but think that I think this movie. Okay, so when I think of what who this movie is for, I think this. I think Tom Cruise carries this movie, and I know that we've we spent like the whole first half of this podcast like banging on Tom Cruise and how bad he is. I don't think it can be underestimated how big of a star he is. Yeah. Like, I think he, I think he carries this thing to $173 million by himself. Like Dustin Hoffman. Yes. But I think it's Tom Cruise money that's coming in and it's Tom Cruise fans that are doing it. And his hair, his (sighs) hair is doing a lot of work. The clothes, man. Holy cow. The tucked in shirts with no belt. Yeah. What is that? The, the amount that? of shiny suit fabric, <laughs> double-breasted or single, 
There's a lot of that. Button ups going all the way with no tie. All the way. Button no ups tie. going all the way to the neck, no tie. That's how you do business, Greg. That's what business. I got it. Oof, that's a that's a brutal. This is a brutal look for Tom Cruise, and he's coming off a cocktail. <laughs> and I think I think he dictated the haircuts that all of Beth Grant's children had in that farmhouse with those terrible mullets. <laughs> he said, "I need my hair to look like it's not a mullet." So we need to put severe mullets on all of these freckled children. Just oh, it was man. in his rider in the contract. No one's hair looks better than me. But I um, think I think you're right. I think you you have made a fair point that, and I can just imagine the pitch in the room. You know that we're we bringing these Cruz. two things together. We got Cruz. He wants to do some more serious work. Yeah. He really wants to be taken seriously as an actor. You've I got think, Hoffman. And I would think that Cruz would have been excited to work with Hoffman. Did you find anything on kind of their, what this this set was like or anything like that? I didn't see anything about their relationship on sh- set. From what I can understand, it was, you know, pretty amiable. Like, they were fine. Um, there is the one gaffe that is notable is that uh, Dustin Hoffman didn't thank Tom Cruise during his speech um, nope. when, when he won Best Actor. But... When they came out together to present the award for something, uh, he thanked him then and the patter that they had. So I guess he had gotten his Best Actor award earlier in the night, and then later in the night he thanked him when they came on as presenters. So, um, so that's interesting. Oh, but, here go here, Greg. Watch out! Here's some Hollywood realness. Let me show you. This is the cover of GQ oh. with Cruz and Hoffman. Holiday style, 60 great looks. There you go. No, yeah, 60 great looks. None of them are in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that, I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think going into a pitch meeting in 1988 and saying you have Tom Cruise is the equivalent of saying that you have a Marvel character for a movie today. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that probably the studio saw it that way. Some of the things I did read were that there were times when Hoffman was really feeling like he was not going to be able to pull this off yeah. and play this character well. Yeah. And that he had done the research. He's very method in there, you know, and, and Levinson really had to kind of talk him down and to kind of get him back. Hoffman originally came in for the role of Charlie Babbitt. Yeah. Mm. That would be an interesting movie. I well, think he also, would do. I think he would do more with the character. Uh, scale of one to five. What do you rate this movie? Three point five. Oh, okay. All Not right. loving it. Uh huh. I see quality in it, but I'm not in love with it. We're kind of in the same boat. I have it. Yeah, as, I have it three. Yeah. Three out of five. I think it's beautiful. I think it's a gorgeous film. It's beautifully shot. Okay, gorgeous is that's over the top for me. It's not gorgeous. It's it's nice. It's some nice fields. It's, oh, see, I think it's I think it's really there's some attractive telephone poles and some really good <laughs> girders on a bridge. But I think even the even the way Las Vegas is shot in this makes it look way prettier than it had any right to be. Like I thought I thought it was really I thought it was really a pretty movie. The acting's did, the acting's atrocious. It did make me miss the flamingo. Because I do remember going to Las Vegas and seeing the flamingo. And just the um, way the neon would flow up the front. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I would say it's well shot, bad acting, 
And the thing that really kills it for me, I just don't understand the point of the movie. I don't like I don't understand what the point of it was. When I when I look at like where the movie starts and where it ends, like it doesn't look like there's a clear arc for anybody. Would this be nominated for an Oscar today in any category? Or what would the controversies be about this movie? I mean, obviously representation. Representation for sure. Yeah. It's interesting because it comes along before indie film is a thing. And I could see this being some sort of side project or small. Oh, you project. think like a small budget, like an A24 movie or something like a small yeah. studio. Yeah. It's like the budget on this doesn't doesn't feel other than what you're paying these actors. Yeah. It doesn't feel that great. I'm not feeling a heavy budget here. Yeah. There's much more focusing on the acting. Yeah, I think it would absolutely be nominated for. In act for in the acting categories, mm-hmm. Oscar, I think Hoffman would for sure be nominated for this performance today. Um, even with the whole representation issues, um, it's showy and like Oscars love that True. kind of stuff. And I, in the I transformative, you, the transformative aspect you mentioned too. If it came out today, I bet you Tom Cruise would be nominated because they would want they would want, the, they would want to get him. For the show, they would want to get him for the for the award show itself, um, and he does just enough, I think, to warrant earning a nomination. Mm. So I bet the two of them would snag nominations. I don't think it would get nominated for best picture though. I don't think there's enough there there. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, and it's good to know that Hans Zimmer went on to make something of himself. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's the sound of Wonder Woman. Hans I mean, Zimmer. golly. Yeah, he had some he had some interesting ones, interesting movies before this one. Kind of takes off after this. One uh, last question. Yes. Should this movie have won the Oscar in 1989? Here's what it here's what it's up against. Okay, go it on. is up against <laughs> the Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl. Oh no! Oh There's, no! That's its competition. Do any of those outrank Rain Man? I cannot wait for us to talk about Working Girl. (laughs) Oh, man. That would be fun. I I like Mississippi Burning. Yeah. I remember liking that movie. Gene Hackman's great. And I don't think I've ever seen The Accidental (laughs) Tour. I remember it was a teamy reteaming of Turner and Hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. They have been in Body Heat, which right. is a different movie. Huge movie, huge movie, yeah. And this movie just felt. I remember my my first the first word that comes to mind is weird. Like that's the first word that comes to mind because I'm like what, fourteen with this this in 1988. I'm like, oh, what is this about? Oh yeah, Gina Davis. Oh. See, I feel like you're I, answering I'm, the Greg, question, Greg. I like I'm you're... gonna I'm going to hold my opinion on this. Oh, we get through all five. Oh, you think we should do the others? Because I, I was we thinking we would just one off this episode and then start with the Oscars from 1990. But you think we should we should do these four? Maybe movies? we should look at all five. I think you're right. I think we should because you know why? I've never seen any of these other movies. Oh my god! <laughs> I've never really? seen. I've never seen. So I would say that yes, Rain Man deserves the Oscar because I've never <laughs> seen this other four movies. <laughs> I cannot believe Working Girl was nominated for Best Picture. (laughs) Yeah, man. 
If it was I've now never... and we nominate like 10 movies, sure. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I've never seen it. Oh, Betsy, thank you for coming on and oh, talking hey. to me about Rain Man. This was Listen, a lot of fun. Hey, well, thank you for giving me this experience since I wasn't sure that this was... I've seen some of these other ones now. Now I'm ahead of you a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I to really allow me to experience Rain Man. All right. 30 years yeah. later, thank you. I'm glad that I gave you the gift of Rain Man. Thank you.